Welcome to the Smart Talk series, a Henry George School of Social Science podcast. The Smart Talk series is a weekly podcast with an array of discussions held with academics, policymakers, practitioners, and other professionals to explore new ideas and theories within the economics field. Today, our episode comes from our most recent annual conference, Rebuilding the Economy After the Pandemic, Challenges and Avenues for Reform. For the next eight weeks, our episode will revolve around this theme with three subtopics. The first will be healthcare and fiscal policy reform, followed by a green economy and banking reform, and last but not least, housing and infrastructure. Our first discussion of the series was held with Dr. Jack Rasmus. Dr. Rasmus is a professor at St. Mary's College in California, where he focuses on inequality. Dr. Rasmus began his career in journalism and is the author of numerous books on the political economy. Dr. Rasmus joins us to discuss the vulnerabilities of the U.S. healthcare system that were exposed during the COVID-19 pandemic and possible avenues for reform. We hope you enjoy this talk, and please check back on our page every week for a brand new episode. Let me uh, give a little background on the, the scope magnitude. Uh, I'm not a healthcare expert, uh, but I think we need to put it in context of uh, you know the, the magnitude of this uh, COVID problem, this healthcare problem. Uh, and uh, then I want to talk about the impact on the economy in general, the U.S. economy, a little bit of a global economy, and then on uh, impact on the healthcare sector itself and uh, provide some uh, suggestions for solutions, policies, programs uh, going forward, given the impacts on the economy and healthcare in, in particular. Okay, uh, if we look at uh, the crisis of the last two years, the healthcare crisis, um, if we consider it a war on the virus, which it should be, although our government has not really been addressing it as such, it is the most destructive war in US history. Uh, we have lost uh, maybe 850,000 people uh, the next largest uh, death from war is the Civil War, about 800,000. World War II, we lost 400,000. World War I, about 200,000. So by far, this is the, the, the most devastating war uh, that's ever been waged in the United States. And it's been waged, of course, uh, on our home turf, unlike previous wars. So it's uh, very devastating very devastating. In 2020, about 220,000 people died in the U.S. from COVID. Uh, uh, 2021, uh, at least another 600,000 died. That's about a 2% uh, death rate. About 53 million cases uh, have occurred out of a 340 million population, roughly. Uh, reportedly, 41 million have recovered. So I guess there's about 11 million or so who uh, have not fully recovered uh, from this. Uh, most recently, we see this, this latest surge, uh, Omicron, much more infectious, maybe, we don't know yet, but maybe not as deadly. Uh, 110,000 uh, people are now hospitalized. Uh, a real, real uh, increase here in, in the last month since, since the Omicron variant has occurred. Uh, reportedly 600,000 a day, <laughs> new cases. Uh, 
140 million more will get infected over the next two months by March. Uh, so it's not abated. The good news is, of course, we've got vaccines out there, although it's not too clear uh, how effective the vaccines really are, particularly against uh, Omicron. One thing is very clear uh, that the, the traditional vaccines like J&J &J, uh, are pretty ineffective when it comes to preventing uh, infections and maybe even hospitalizations and deaths here. Uh, they're not even pushing J&J &J anymore. And of course, globally, that would include traditional vaccines like AstraZeneca, uh, Sputnik V, and uh, Sinovac. Uh, the uh, mRNA seems to be more effective, but not all that effective probably for people with uh, severely challenged immune systems. Uh, or elderly uh, whose immune systems naturally uh, decline. Uh, so it is some protection and certainly it mitigates the severity, uh, but it's beginning to look like uh, we need uh, constant boosters. Uh, so the effectiveness uh, wears, wears off. Uh, in terms of healthcare spending uh, last year, well, in 2020, we don't have the figures for 2021, but in 2020, we. Healthcare spending in the United States was $4.1 trillion. Nearly one out of every $5 are being spent for healthcare. Uh, that compares to uh, 15 years ago, uh, 2004, of $1.8 trillion. Uh, so it's, it's up almost well over 200% healthcare spending in the US. The quality of the healthcare received, however, uh, the US ranks quite low among the advanced economies in terms of, uh, of uh, mortality and uh, so forth, particularly for uh, poor and minority people. Uh, so that's kind of the scope of, of where we are. Uh, we've got 5,000 US hospitals in the US roughly, about 2,800 of those have ICU beds, uh, but uh, almost 1,000 of those now uh, have 95% uh, capacity in the ICU beds. Uh, we have 245 million people who received one shot. That's about 74%. About 62% have gotten uh, two shots and maybe 30% uh, have gotten a booster. Uh, so the war is not won very clearly. And the war is having a, a devastating effects on the economy, not only short term uh, because of the shutdowns that we've had, uh, and uh, the impacts on certain sectors and industries, service industries in particular, uh, the impacts uh, are beginning to appear to be permanent. Uh, it's not too clear that economists fully understand the permanent impacts on the economy. They're just becoming clear, labor markets, product markets, uh, but they will become more clear over time. Uh, there is no returning to new normals here uh, economically. Uh, probably not in terms of healthcare either. Uh, and of course, uh, the healthcare disruptions and the economic disruptions uh, are feeding into the political instabilities in the United States. Uh, I've written about what I call the America's triple crisis, uh, and that's the uh, crisis in the political system, particularly democracy under attack, uh, the economic system, long run, and the healthcare system. And all these three are feeding off of each other in a, in a negative way. 
And it doesn't look as if uh, that's going to discontinue very soon and may actually uh, intensify. Okay, that's, that's the scope and magnitude, the background uh, of the dimensions of what we got. The main message is uh, COVID uh, is not going away. Uh, even if uh, Omicron is uh, less uh, uh, you know, deadly, uh, it certainly is more infectious. And we really don't know uh, with 150 more million, 140 million uh, going to be infected next two months, uh, what the consequences are going to be uh, for the economy. Although it looks pretty clear the government doesn't want to spend any more money uh, going forward. Uh, that may mean uh, some big problems if, uh, if the problem with, with COVID in the healthcare intensifies in, in any way. Uh, okay, let me, let me move on to uh, the impacts on the economy over the last two years, <clears throat> many of which are, are continuing. Uh, first impact obviously is uh, on jobs and wages. We saw a massive shutdown uh, in 2020, uh, 35 million people uh, experienced unemployment of some sort during that period. Uh, probably the, the greatest unemployment impact we've, we've had since the Great Depression of the 1930s. Uh, so big impacts on, uh, on jobs, the number of jobs. Uh, Service related in particular, uh, most of the manufacturing continued, particularly food manufacturing uh, during and necessities during uh, uh, 2020 and 2021, uh, the great impacts were on the service jobs, uh, particularly uh, uh, certain sectors, uh, you know, like airlines and travel and leisure, accommodations, hotels, entertainment uh, uh, sectors, personal services and so forth. Uh, that was the, the major impact. And uh, we're still having trouble uh, with those, those sectors really returning to their, their full uh, uh, economic uh, functioning here. Uh, so jobs, uh, big, big problem with jobs. Um, the statistics, the government statistics, I don't believe picked this up very well. I think the statistical uh, uh, methodologies that existed pre-COVID uh, don't work too well during COVID. Uh, they aren't as accurate as they otherwise might be. Uh, we hear talk about a 3.9% unemployment right now. Uh, well, that's only for full-time employees, right? Uh, we have maybe 50 million plus people who are part-time temp, not a contingent as it's called, gig and so forth. Um, when you add that, uh, that group into uh, the, the unemployment rate mix, we've got uh, maybe 7.3, 7.5% unemployment rate. Uh, and then when you add the fact we have four and a half million people dropped out of the labor force, uh, they're unemployed, but given the way the United States calculates unemployment rate, they're not considered uh, uh, in the calculation of the unemployment rate. They're jobless, but they don't have unemployment rate. Uh, influence here. So uh, there's probably 13 to 14 million people still still jobless out there, uh, several million uh, due to childcare, unavailability, unaffordability, uh, and a lot of them having quit and in the process of search, what we call frictional unemployment, search unemployment uh, going on. Uh, I wrote a, an article in September called The Great Strike of 2021, 
Um, strike should be understood as people withholding their labor, not simply people who are in unions uh, walking out over a contract disputes. And, and if you do that, uh, we have, uh, it's, it's a great strike wave here going on, uh, only comparable perhaps to uh, 1970, 71, or 1945-46. A lot of people quitting, a lot of people searching for new jobs, a lot of people unable to go back to work still. Uh, so the job picture is pretty, pretty, still very serious. Uh, wages, we look at wages. And uh, uh, again, we have the statistics that are a little bit misleading, I think. Uh, we have the consumer price index up 6.8%. Uh, year over year here the past 12 months. Uh, uh, but wages, average wages only up 4.7%. Uh, so real wages are going down here uh, during this, this pandemic. If you compare that to 2019, uh, we had inflation rate of two and a half percent, wages about 3%. So uh, real wages were creeping up after a decade of declining here before the COVID uh, effect. Uh, but now real wages are going down and, and quite sharply. Uh, that has major con consequences for consumer spending, which is two thirds of GDP in the economy going forward. Uh, so, uh, you know, sum up uh, on, on the labor market situation here, we've got the uh, job uh, still significant unemployment and we got real wages uh, declining, uh, which is uh, not, not very positive here. Uh, minimum wages are creeping up uh, a little bit because they can't get people back into services. The wages were so low uh, and uh, the minimum wage laws uh, haven't been adjusted except in a few states for so long uh, that they just can't attract the uh, uh, employees anymore. So in certain industries, they've had to raise minimum wage wages. We're seeing a, a restructuring of many of these service industries. Uh, that's going to be ongoing. Uh, they will downsize uh, and uh, restructure uh, in, in different ways. Uh, labor markets are changing, a lot of remote work, hybrid work is, is probably a permanent feature now. More frictional unemployment, more structural unemployment. Uh, in other words, industry is declining permanently, that's structural unemployment. People quitting and looking, uh, searching for new jobs as frictional unemployment. Uh, certain occupations, there's a real dearth of, uh, of workers like trucking, uh, construction jobs, uh, and even some service sectors, uh, really short shortages going on. Uh, so the labor markets are in upheaval uh, and uh, haven't worked themselves out totally, but will continue. Uh, and there's a lot of serious problems still in the labor markets uh, as the changes occur to some kind of new normal at some point. Uh, product markets are in, in uh, flux and stress uh, even more so, we might add. Um, we know about the supply chain problems. Uh, that has two dimensions. That's a global supply chain problem, getting discrete goods, uh, intermediate goods, final goods imported through the ports. Uh, I don't think it's uh, totally a, a port problem. I think that's been hyped a little bit. Uh, we hear a lot about the LA port and they can't unload the containers and ships offshore. Well, you just go north 400 miles to San Francisco, Oakland port, and they've got uh, excess ca uh, capacity there. Uh, so, you know, it's the LA port. You don't hear similar problems in other ports. 
uh, the problem at the ports is not so much or just the uh, ships unloading. Uh, the problem is uh, you don't unload them uh, if you don't have the truckers uh, to pick the stuff up. Uh, so it's a trucking problem, I think, in the ports, uh, particularly, you know, the 18 wheelers, independent truckers. We don't have enough of them anymore uh, hauling the stuff uh, inland to the regional warehouses and from there hauling it to the company warehouses uh, and so forth. And the lack of truck drivers uh, is a longer term problem. Uh, we have. So uh, we do have supply chain problems, uh, domestic as well as global, and they aren't going away uh, and you can't fix them uh, overnight. Uh, other industries that we have a problem is, uh, you know, reg residential real estate. Uh, we see shortages, shortages of, uh, of uh, materials and uh, shortages of housing in particular, which is driving the price up uh, significantly. Commercial real estate, we don't hear that much about, uh, but it is in a financial uh, stress. Commercial real estate, we're talking about hotels and malls and office buildings and factories uh, and, uh, uh, you know, entertainment uh, locations, and theme parks, uh, cruise ships and so forth. Um, uh, they are in uh, serious trouble financially. And the question remains over the next few years, will they be able to refinance the uh, very significant debt often of junk quality here, uh, or will they start defaulting on that debt uh, and uh, start having bankruptcies? Uh, we could have commercial real estate as the locus uh, of, uh, of financial instability a year or two from now. Uh, so that industry has been significantly impacted uh, certain industries uh, are in decline. We know them, airlines, travel, leisure, in other words, hospitality, hotels, so forth, restaurants, entertainment, etc. cetera. Uh, they will go through a significant restructuring here and uh, their role in the economy will, will necessarily decline. Another area that people aren't aware of is uh, what's going on with business investment. Um, we see a surge in business lending and business investment going on. A lot of that, we don't know exactly how much, but a lot of that is in artificial intelligence. Artificial intelligence, simply put, is uh, having software uh, decision-making, software-based decision-making, uh, which will eliminate a lot of the service jobs uh, that are simple decisions. Uh, McKinsey and others, uh, Deloitte Touche and others uh, estimate that 30% of all the occupations in the country are going to be negatively impacted uh, by uh, artificial intelligence, which now coming out of the uh, pandemic here uh, is uh, accelerating significantly. It was already significant, but it's accelerating. So a lot of investment going into AI because AI uh, will cut business costs. Uh, by eliminating uh, labor, uh, making simple decisions, and uh, the software-based uh, uh, computing uh, uh, statistical uh, decision-making uh, uh, will be replacing that within businesses. A lot of occupations uh, impacted. Um, I don't think that's an area that's being paid enough attention, but the point is COVID has accelerated that uh, coming out of the, the problem. Education, uh, we're seeing a lot of remote education that's here to stay. And the impact of that on higher education, particularly smaller colleges, will be severe. Uh, many of them will consolidate and, and close, I believe. 
uh, retail, of course, is going to be impacted because uh, people uh, uh, during the COVID area have learned that uh, it's easier to purchase online than it is to go to a mall. We're going to have a, a lot of malls closing. Uh, so that sector in retail, big box retail in particular, uh, is going to be significantly impacted. All these examples are a part of what's happening with product markets, as we economists call it. Uh, so uh, significant um, impacts uh, ongoing and uh, permanent restructuring will occur in the product markets just as they are and will in the uh, labor markets. Uh, a lot of this has produced uh, inflation. Inflation has been primarily, in my view, uh, supply side driven, both domestic and global. Uh, is it demand driven? Well, demand to some extent as the economy has reopened uh, twice here in the summers, particularly this last summer. Uh, that means, of course, uh, more people working, more wage income and more uh, demand for goods. Uh, and then, of course, we have the stimulus uh, from this spring and uh, certain economists are claiming it's, uh, you know, the stimulus, uh, the bills, the American Rescue Plan here. Uh, and nothing really happened after American Rescue Plan infrastructure bill that's passed won't have an effect for another year. So it's uh, mainly the one point nine trillion uh, uh, American Rescue Plan of March of this year uh, has uh, added to demand. Uh, but not as much as they're saying, uh, because uh, only uh, 900 billion of the 1.9 trillion actually hit the economy in the first year. And of course, uh, uh, the first year isn't over. Uh, so when you add maybe in the third quarter of this year, 500 billion from the American Rescue Plan hitting the economy, and you add that to reopening the economy, which is three, four trillion dollars uh, more, uh, you know, the, the stimulus to demand for the American Rescue Plan is uh, minimal compared to reopening the economy. So uh, demand plays some role in inflation, but it's mostly still uh, uh, supply side. And thirdly, I think it's neither supply or demand. Uh, it's industries taking advantage of the situation to price gouge, uh, monopoly-like industries. Good example is, is the meat processing industry and a few other industries uh, where there is no lack of demand or increase in demand significantly. Uh, and there is no supply problem, but yet we have 20, 10, 20% increase in, in prices going on. Uh, you can say the same with the oil and energy companies. So uh, inflation uh, is a problem here now, uh, and but inflation is uh, mostly supply side and price gouging by monopoly-like companies, and to some extent, lesser extent, demand, in my opinion. Uh, going forward, I think there will continue to be uh, supply problems, supply chain problems, because they are structural now in the economy. Uh, COVID has upset the economy in permanent ways, and, and that's one of them. Uh, looking at financial markets, as well as product markets and uh, labor markets, uh, what we see is the Federal Reserve, uh, when the COVID began, uh, threw $5 trillion into the economy uh, through various ways, mostly what's called quantitative easing uh, and, and other, uh, other ways. Uh, $5 trillion added to its balance sheet debt of $4 trillion going into this. So a massive amount of money was thrown into the economy. Uh, the banks did not need the money. Uh, 
but it was thrown at the banks anyway and uh, major corporations and investors. Uh, they didn't need it because they were already flush with cash going into this. This is not a, a, a financial crisis like uh, 2008 and nine. Uh, so in effect, the Fed uh, pre-bailed out the banks and big investors and big corporations uh, who then uh, used the money, I believe, uh, significantly uh, to invest in financial asset markets. There wasn't as much demand for their goods, particularly in 2020, to expand production. So the money did not go into expanding the real economy. Uh, most of that $5 trillion, uh, I believe, went into financial asset markets, stock markets, bond markets, uh, uh, currency exchange markets, derivative markets. And of course, what we got was bubbles uh, in those markets. Stock market uh, last year went up uh, all the three major US stock markets, 25 to 30%, uh, mostly because of all the excess demand, given all the excess liquidity uh, that the Fed pumped into the markets. Uh, and of course, all that liquidity uh, lowered the interest rates significantly. And uh, big corporations uh, took advantage of that, uh, did not borrow money from the Fed or the government, although the programs were there uh, as part of uh, the first CARES Act. They did not borrow the money. What they did was issue corporate bonds because rates were so low. Uh, uh, it was cheaper for them to raise trillions of dollars. So big corporations uh, got fatter with, with uh, cash hoarding uh, as, as the banks got as well. Uh, so that sector of the economy, it did quite well. And uh, of course, the result was the financial asset markets boom and uh, investors, billionaires, you know, people like Jeff Bezos and uh, Tesla, you know, uh, Elon Musk uh, uh, added trillions, trillions to their asset and their, and their wealth, largely because of the financial asset markets booming, uh, which was largely in turn because of the Fed, Fed policies and low interest rates. Uh, now we got the Fed fiscal uh, monetary policy shifting. They're going to raise interest rates uh, sooner here. Uh, uh, probably in March now, the talk is instead of the second half of, of last year, uh, and of course, that will be a, a negative uh, drain on part of the economy. Uh, the problem is you cannot raise interest rates to solve uh, supply-driven problems in the economy. Uh, what you do is uh, depress demand, particularly for big ticket items and ho housing. So uh, the Fed uh, will be making the same mistake as it raises rates that it made in 1980-81 that precipitated the 81-82 recession when it raised interest rates to uh, 16, 18%. They won't raise it that high, but you don't have to raise it that high to have an impact on, on the economy. At the same time, in terms of fiscal policy, uh, I believe there's no more fiscal policy stimulus uh, forthcoming. We can see that uh, with the uh, uh, stifling of the Build Back Better Act, which is dead. Uh, that's not gonna happen. Uh, they may resurrect a few, uh, uh, cut out some programs and, and continue them a little bit, but uh, it's pretty clear that there's a, a, a an alliance in, in Congress of Republicans and uh, corporate-oriented uh, uh, Democrats like uh, uh, Manchin and Cinema, and uh, they're blocking any kind of uh, further fiscal uh, stimulus, which isn't going to happen. Uh, at the same time, the Fed raises rates. At the same time, that inflation is... Uh, uh, really devastating uh, real wages 
uh, and therefore consumption. So uh, going forward this year, the scenario for uh, for the economy, I think, is is much weaker, uh, and uh, uh, fiscal and monetary policy are not there uh, to stimulate and. Uh, consumption, which is two thirds of the economy is, is going to hit some uh, important headwinds. And we may see some financial problems uh, in, in the markets and the financial markets. Certainly wealth effects uh, will, will dissipate as well. Uh, globally, we see some weak links as well. In China, we see the property developers uh, uh, nearing bankruptcy that could have a contagion effect uh, globally. Uh, we see in Latin America and other places, dollarized bond markets are going to be in trouble as currencies decline in those uh, emerging markets as the U.S. dollar rises, right? And we're seeing instability in the crypto and junk, junk bond markets as well. Uh, government debt, $28 trillion plus $9 trillion of Fed debt, plus probably another $5, $6 trillion in state and local debt. The debt load is quite large. Uh, they will probably be able to continue to service that debt load for some time, however. Um, so that's the picture of, of the global in the US economy in general uh, that we're looking at here. Labor markets to summarize in flux and not healed. Uh, product markets, some of them in very serious uh, conditions and restructuring financial markets. Uh, we'll see what happens with the Fed uh, policy changes, uh, government debt um, quite high, and uh, no real fiscal policy stimulus uh, forthcoming. And uh, that's going to be a problem, I think, uh, going forward here um, in the next uh, next 12, 12 months. Okay, so what uh, what can we say about the impact of COVID here? on the healthcare sector, on, on uh, healthcare in the US. Um, as I said before, healthcare in the US has had a problem for a quarter century here. As prices began to rise in the 1990s, the cost of healthcare, uh, the solution uh, was uh, uh, Clinton's managed healthcare, which was really a way of uh, uh, downsizing the hospitals and the number of beds in the hospitals and subsidizing hospitals, allowing them by creating less of a supply of hospitals and, and, and beds to raise their prices. That was the managed healthcare solution. Uh, uh, and uh, it, it resulted uh, in a sharp increase in number of uninsured. We had maybe 46, 48 million people uninsured by 2000. Uh, that did not uh, decline much uh, uh, until 2008, nine. And then we got the Affordable Care Act, which was a further privatization of the healthcare system. Uh, managed care was a first privatization. Uh, and the Affordable Care Act uh, reduced uh, the number of uninsured maybe to 28 million from 48 million. So about 20 million people uh, were taken off the uh, uninsured rolls. Uh, that's been rising, however, in the last couple of years because a lot of the Affordable Care Act uh, provided uh, 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 deductibles, which were quite expensive, uh, really just catastrophic insurance uh, in, in a number of states. Uh, in other states, would fully adopted it. It was a little bit better in, in terms of the cost and, and the coverage, uh, but very uneasy. And uh, the problem with the uh, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, is that uh, it costs $900 billion a year uh, to buy down um, 
you know, 20 million people, 15 to 20 million people, leaving maybe 25, 30 million people still uninsured in the United States. It's a big cost uh, uh, to not really solve the problem of access to health care in the United States. And most of that money uh, was subsidy to, to the uh, health insurance companies. As one nurse told me, it was really a, a health insurance company subsidy act in many ways. Okay. Uh, the good part of it, of course, was Medicaid and, and allowing a lot of people to get something, even if it's bare bones uh, uh, health care. Uh, but of course, a lot of the red states would not participate in that. So it's a very mixed picture. Not private, privatization solutions clearly do not work anymore. Um, the big thing uh, about uh, what we've got in the last two years, I think, is uh, we have a crisis in healthcare uh, employment uh, going on. If you look at the number of uh, nurses, for example, in uh, 2019, uh, in this country, just before the crisis uh, with, with COVID hit, we had 3.4 million nurses. We've got 2.9 million now. We've lost a half a million nurses in this country, 500,000 nurses, right? 300,000 in 2020, another 200,000 last year. Uh, we can't go forward uh, with uh, a chronic problems of uh, of viruses, which aren't going to go away. Uh, we got a new normal. It's going to be with us for some time here. Uh, we, we can't go forward uh, with losing that, that many skilled workers in the healthcare industry. Um, in the hospitals, general hospital employment is down 200,000. So there's maybe some overlap there between the 500 and 200,000. But you know, we have somewhere around six, 700,000 uh, decline in hospital and nursing employment. Uh, that's a crisis, uh, given where everything's going in the future. And I haven't seen any government policies uh, about how we're going to train and provide enough nursing and uh, professional care in the houses uh, for uh, th this chronic problem going forward. Uh, in other words, COVID has really devastated uh, the critical job professional jobs in the healthcare industry. And no one is talking about what to do about that. Uh, the other major problem that's been laid bare by COVID is the problem with uh, PPE equipment, personal protective equipment. We saw that in 2020, a big problem uh, initially with uh, ventilators and innovators, right? Why? Because they were made offshore. We offshored uh, that production of PPE. And we've seen it with masks and other personal protective equipment. Uh, part of the great massive offshoring and manufacturing, particularly light manufacturing, uh, uh, since the 1980s has included uh, healthcare equipment. And now we got a problem. Uh, and there's no real policy to bring it back. No set of incentives and disincentives, you know, credits to bring it back, uh, tariffs uh, for companies that continue to insist US companies to produce offshore. Uh, penalties, right? There, there needs to be a massive uh, uh, program here uh, to get this stuff back on shore. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I assume test kits are prior part of this problem, right? Uh, we probably need a government corporation to uh, uh, jumpstart uh, uh, production here uh, on an emergency basis and to, to uh, 
uh, you know, give incentives to private corporations to get their act together here, bring this stuff back uh, onshore because uh, these problems aren't going to go away. Uh, so offshoring, a big problem here, PPE, a big problem laid bare, lots of jobs, critical service jobs uh, in hospitals and nursing, big problem. The other, other issue is uh, uh, big pharma, you know, uh, big pharma is here to stay. Uh, we have uh, vaccines, and we're going to continue to have new vaccines. We have treatments. Uh, the question is, who pays for this? You know, the government up to now has been subsidizing it, but going forward, uh, who's going to pay? And are we going to allow the pharma companies uh, to price gouge us? You know, will there be some price controls over big pharma in the United States? Uh, a big political issue, since they are, you know, one of the the largest uh, lobbying uh, sectors of, of US, uh, US economy, big pharmaceutical companies, right? So who pays? Who pays going forward? The government's been paying. Who pays and can you uh, control the prices? Uh, the role of government is going to increase, has to increase here going forward as a result of the last two years in the continuation. Uh, regulations and mandates, we see the big fight over regulations and mandates going on now. The Supreme Court will probably step in and, and make some decisions on, on that. Uh, PPE provisioning, uh, I talked about that. The government will have to play an ongoing role subsidizing PPE in some ways. Uh, financing. Uh, we dearly need a, a much wider system of local clinics in this country uh, where people can go and uh, get their treatments and vaccinations and don't have to overload the, uh, uh, the hospital system, which is uh, getting close to overloading every time this happens. You know, it's almost broken twice. Uh, we were pretty lucky. Uh, job training. You know, is the government going to step in and do more, spend more for job training for nurses and, and hospital personnel? Uh, financing these clinics, will the, will the government do that? Uh, it's not part of the Infrastructure Act, you see. That's a problem. Uh, ICU beds. Uh, we need a sharp increase in number of ICU beds in this country. We, we have, uh, what, 138,000, I've seen, ICU beds for 340 million people. Uh, and we almost max them out each time there's a wave. Uh, we really need uh, double the number of ICU beds, which means we have to go back and, and somehow in the clinics or, or in hospitals uh, increase uh, the number of I ICU beds. Right? Uh, it's a problem uh, here. We have 110,000 hospitalizations now with 140 million people more going to be infected. Uh, it's hard to tell if those are ICU hospitalizations or not, but uh, it's certainly a significant increase. The other problem I see uh, is uh, the government, on the government side, permanent healthcare impact is the government as it, as it takes a deeper role uh, in, in the whole healthcare sector here, uh, in all the ways I've discussed, uh, it's gotta get its act together in terms of uh, of uh, its messaging. Uh, we see now the media say, well, we got a messaging problem here. Uh, there's no real single point of contact here with the government messaging. There's several uh, agencies and uh, uh, press conferences by the White House and so forth. And we're getting a lot of uh, conflicting uh, messaging here, which is confusing people and feeding into the uh, uh, the problem with people simply not believing the government and thinking that vaccines don't work, et, et cetera. Uh, 
we need more science education. We need a single point of communication. For example, the miscommunication or the confused communication coming out. Uh, at the beginning, we saw, uh, oh, we're going to eradicate it, uh, zero COVID policy. Now they're saying, oh, we got to live with it. Uh, oh, mRNA uh, is 95% effective. Uh, we only need two shots. Well, then we got a booster. Now they're talking about another booster, fourth shot. Um, J and J uh, traditional vaccines worked. Well, they don't work very well, and they're not even uh, giving them anymore. Uh, children don't get it. Well, they are getting Omicron, Omicron at a significant uh, rate. Uh, cloth masks are okay. No, now we need N95. A uh, 10-day quarantine. Well, now it's a five-day quarantine. 70%, uh, 80% is herd immunity. Uh, they don't know what herd immunity is, right? Uh, the vaccines will prevent infections. Well, they don't, and now they're saying hospitalizations and, and deaths, right? Um, it's, a, it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. Well, there's a lot of breakthrough cases going on now. Social distancing, uh, mostly elderly. It, it goes on and goes on. And uh, this miscommunication uh, by the government uh, is just feeding the bigger problem we have in this country uh, of, uh, I believe, social media uh, and the internet, which is just uh, inflaming, inflaming the ignorance and the, and the radical right uh, manipulation of, uh, of the vaccine uh, issue. Uh, and, uh, you know, we have a third of the people who simply won't, won't take uh, 65 million, won't, won't take vaccines, even MRA. Uh, so, um, you know, social media is a problem. Of course, they raise this First Amendment issues, but uh, uh, it's, uh, it's really a, a kind of a cancer. Social media is a cancer. This is my personal view, but uh, looking at what's going on, I think social media is a cancer that's undermining our political system, undermining our health system, and of course, not doing, uh, uh, as a result, uh, anything good for the, the economy itself. Uh, so something needs to be done long-term about social media. Uh, that's not on the agenda, however. Uh, but you know, in the interim of that, the government needs to get its act together and needs to uh, provide a better, better communications. So the healthcare industry, I would simply sum summarize, uh, you know, we have a problem with healthcare employment and restructuring. We have a problem with uh, ICU. We have a problem with uh, not enough clinics. We have a problem with offshore uh, uh, PPE. We have a problem with uh, big pharma. Uh, who's going to pay? Are they going to price controls? We have a problem with investment in jobs and employment and, and structures that we need to do. Uh, access by uh, low-wage and minority people just don't get the access uh, to the to the system. And uh, of course, the COVID problem is concentrated there. Um, and then health policy communications uh, is a problem. So those six areas I see as a major impacts of COVID on the healthcare system itself. And then prior to that, I outlaid the impacts, permanent long-term uh, structural in terms of labor markets, product markets, and financial markets in certain industries. Okay, I'll, I'll just end with that. But uh, you know, the government needs to engage even further with long-term long-term investments, structural investments, not mitigation simply. The first phase here, you could throw money in the CARES Act and the American Rescue Plan Act here in 2021. You could throw money to mitigate the problem, keep it from crashing the economy permanently and, and 
that even more deeply. Uh, but those mitigation fiscal policies are not sufficient. There has to be structural policy, and it's unfortunate that the Investment uh, uh, Act here uh, has not really addressed uh, the healthcare sector investment that, that we're going to need. And I'll leave it at that and open for questions. And that's it for this week's episode of Smart Talk. Thank you for listening, and we hope it made you think. If you'd like to learn more about our research, check out hgsss.org. That's hgsss.org. Next week, we will continue our talks from our annual conference with a discussion on fiscal policy reform. If you'd like to listen to our content as soon as it's published, subscribe to our show. If you like our show, please leave us a rating, review, or even share it with a friend. It goes a long way. Thank you again for listening, and see you next week.